Uh, Father God, soften our hearts, please, um, now by your spirit um, and encourage us, um, challenge us um, and really change us by your word today as, uh, as we hear it read and as we hear it preached. Uh, thank you that your word is powerful and through it um, you uh, transform lives for your glory and we pray that you would do that again today uh, among us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, the first reading comes from Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right, just, and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The second reading comes from Proverbs 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up in seven. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The third and final reading comes from Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. As you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in labor in vain, run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice, and service coming from your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Thanks, Andrew, and g'day, everyone. Uh, we are, yes, we have been trying a new system for live streaming. Hopefully, uh, we've had to go back to our old system because we uh, ran into a few hitches. So uh, we're on the old one, and the audio quality isn't as good as it will be next week. So um, apologies for that.
But we uh, a, a few quick things before I get into this, uh, our, our text for today, our theme of the fear of the Lord. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to, we're, this is the last, as, as Steve mentioned, the last week in our week, uh, in our series on um, wisdom, the ancient wisdom of the Old Testament. Next week, we're going to start back in Matthew's Gospel, picking up where we left off at the, in chapter 11 of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, and Chris Jolliffe, who is the pastor of Trinity Church Aldgate, some of you might know Chris, uh, Chris is actually going to be speaking to us here, uh, preaching for us, uh, and I've, I'm going to be up at Allgate, so we're doing a bit of a swap for the day. So Chris will be uh, down here next Sunday. Look forward to that. Uh, another couple of quick things. Uh, on the 20th, so two Sundays' time, uh, we're going to have the first of um, a number of picnics this, uh, this term. So if you remember last year, if you're here last year, uh, one of the things that we thought about towards the end of last year was the way in which it's really helpful uh, for our friends and family who don't yet know Jesus. It's a really great opportunity uh, to gather together in groups like at, uh, at the picnic that we had at the end of last year. It's a great opportunity to spend time and with our church family. So uh, it's a key to sharing Jesus. One of the keys to sharing Jesus is building relationships. So that's what, one of the things that we want to see this term. Uh, and we've, uh, we've scheduled in a number of um, picnics that can just help us to do that. Really easy to invite your friends along. So that's on the 20th of February. We're going to have a picnic. Please think about who you can invite along. It'll, we'll get details to you next week, but it'll be down at Kent Reserve, uh, like where, where we have had picnics in the past. Um, so um, think about someone who you can bring along to that, and uh, yeah, that'd be great. Last thing before, for me, uh, before I get into this passage, uh, it's, re it's related to the passage, which is a bit of a book plug. So if you can go to the slide, um, I've, there's a small number of this book, these books up the back. It's called What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord by an author called Michael Reeves. Um, I found this a really helpful book. It's a really, it's a short little book. Uh, there's a number of copies up there. If you uh, want one and you've and they've run out, and they've got, they've sold already. Just uh, you can find that um, online anywhere. You can go to Kurong or anything like that. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Uh, just a plug for that. Uh, that's fourteen dollars, and you can just grab an envelope and um, put the money in uh, the um, everything box when you get a chance, when you're able to. Okay, I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, look at this this uh, wonderful passage together. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Oh, our God, we need your wisdom. We're so lost without it. We can't find it on our own, but you graciously give it to us in your word. So, Father, please now humble us before your word. Please move your spirit in us as we hear your word. Please teach us what it means to fear you in a right, joyful, trembling fear, overwhelmed by all that you have done and all, the who, all that you are. Uh, Father, we live in a world that's so riddled with fear. Uh, please teach us to be those who fear you and therefore can live in this world with joy and peace. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, as, as we've mentioned, it's the last week in our series on the wisdom books of the Old Testament. We've seen how they speak into so many deep aspects of our lives. They speak into our, our suffering from Job, our love, um, our anxieties, 
Uh, this week we're thinking about how God's wisdom speaks into our fears. Now, fear and anxiety are, are pretty close cousins, aren't they? Um, and we'll probably mix and match them both today. Uh, but uh, Whereas anxiety tends to be, have a more of a future focus, worry about what might happen, fear is often more about present threats. And there's lots of them around today, aren't there? There are lots of opportunities for us to be afraid, to fear. Uh, the whole topic of fear doesn't, I don't think it really needs much of an introduction for us. Uh, we live in what some commentators have called a culture of fear, a culture of fear. Now, there's always been fears, right? There's always been fears and anxieties as long as there's been people. Uh, many of us have personal experience of how fear and anxiety can become kind of a, a chronic and debil debil debilitating experience. Uh, perhaps for you, even just to talk about this issue raises your pulse a little. And if that's you, I just want to say thank, thank you for being here. Uh, I, I hope you can know that you're among friends who love you. And more than that, that you have a God who is awesome in power and who cares tenderly for you. But more of that as we go on. Uh, but if you zoom out, though, so fear and anxiety has always been with us, but if you zoom out, though, it does seem like fear and anxiety are becoming more and more kind of entrenched in our society, right, in a kind of new way. Uh, I think lots of things have contributed to that, from social media echo chambers to information overload to, of course, what's on everyone's mind, <laughs> a global pandemic. Um, it impacts all of us. Uh, it especially impacts young people who are growing into adulthood, in this environment. Uh, there was a recent survey of American, it's from America, but it's pretty close to Australia in lots of ways, a recent survey of American first-year university students uh, that found the highest levels of unhappiness ever recorded in first-year college students. Uh, more than 63% of undergrad students had felt overwhelming anxiety in the last 12 months. 42% had felt so depressed they could not function. So we live in this world where fear is just the air we breathe, right? And into this world, the Bible speaks a really clear and life-giving word. Do you know what the most common um, command, the most often repeated command in the Bible is? Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. And, and it's not a command that's kind of a harsh, overbearing command, it is God's wonderful invitation, his comforting call to his people to take his hand and come out of their fear and into his peace and his lights. Now, that could be the end of it, right? I can sit down and we can all go home. Um, we live in fear. God calls us out of our fears. God calls us not to fear. That could have been the end of it. But if you've been with us in this series through the Old Testament wisdom books, you'll know that there's this repeated phrase that has come up again and again at key moments in these books. And it seems to contradict that call not to fear, that really clear command, that urging in the Bible, do not fear. And this seems to contradict it. We saw it in Job. We saw it in Ecclesiastes. It's the main theme of this book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs speaks into all kinds of situations, every kind of life situation. We did a series on it a few years ago, so if you're interested in that, you can go to our website to find that uh, on some of the different themes that you find through Proverbs. Uh, but this idea of the fear of the Lord 
It runs through the whole book from start to finish. The fear of the Lord. It came up in our readings, uh, Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Or in chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So right at chapter 1 and 9, it's in the middle as well of those chapters, you get this call about the fear of the Lord. Those first nine chapters of Proverbs are like an introduction to the whole thing. After those nine chapters, you get the one-liners that, we, uh, that are kind of get famous, that maybe you know about, the, that the Proverbs are famous for. So you might know this one, a gentle answer turns away. Yeah, yeah, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's a good thing to remember. Uh, okay, uh, pride goes before a fall or destruction in the NIV. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Maybe not. Pride goeth before a fall from the old version. Uh, I like this one. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. <laughs> so you get these proverbs, these kind of one-liners that um, are really deep and they cause you to pause, slow down and think. But right at the start, before you get into all those details that go into lots of the details of our lives, this ancient book of wisdom tells, that if, tells us that if we're going to really live wisely, there's one thing that we need before and above anything else. Fear. Fear. Uh, but of course, not just fear in general, a particular fear. The fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is pictured in Proverbs. It's like it's pictured as, as if it's both the doorway into wisdom, but it's also the pathway of wisdom. Uh, we enter wisdom through it. It's the beginning of wisdom, but it's not like we kind of leave it behind. Okay, we fear God, uh, then come to him, and then we leave fear of God behind. Uh, listen to this, this couple of examples of how Fear of the Lord is talked about in Proverbs itself. Chapter 14 says this, Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Proverbs 15 says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Or down in chapter 20, 23, it says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. So this, this gateway, this beginning of wisdom, isn't something that we leave behind, according to the book of Proverbs. It's the thing that we go on in every day, every moment. Um, to live in line with the grain of the universe, to live as we were made to live. And it's not just, it's not just a Proverbs thing either. <laughs> uh, it's not just a Proverbs thing. It's all through the Bible. It's all through the Old Testament. Uh, but it's not just an Old Testament thing either. It's in the New Testament too. So there's this, what, this scene of the early church in the book of Acts. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. Uh, and there's this summary sentence that says in verse 31, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord 
and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So what's going on here, friends? I just want to open this up for us. This fear of the Lord is seen as the beginning, the pathway of wisdom throughout the whole Bible. Um, what I want to do today is simply really reflect on this idea, this foundation of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. I want to reflect on what it's not, what it is, and how growing in this fear can change how we relate to all other fears. How the call to fear the Lord, it's, it's, not in, it's not actually in conflict with the call not to be afraid. They actually go hand in hand together. Because when in Christ the fear of the Lord is our delight, that really is a secure fortress, a, foundation, a fountain of life. Okay, but we need to get clear on what this fear of the Lord is not. Uh, there's lots of different, there are different ways that we can fear God, which is quite interesting. You see this in the Bible, and one interesting place you see it, um, we're going to go a bit of a tour now, so you've got to be a bit switched on. If you can flick in your Bible if you like, or we'll have um, the passages on the screen as well. Um, but one really interesting place you see this is right at the beginning of the nation of Israel's um, story, after they've come out of Egypt, out in the Exodus, they're, they're gathered around Mount Sinai, God has just given them his law, the Ten Commandments. And then you read this in uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And here's, this is very interesting what Moses replies. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Apparently there was a type of fear of God that the Israelites were called not to have. They didn't need to be afraid of God, but they were still called to fear him in such a way that would keep them from sinning. Now, friends, what's going on here? What's going on? It seems that there is a fear of God. Do you see what happens uh, to them? They stayed at a distance. There is a fear of God that drives us away from him. A kind of dread of his majesty, his holiness. Uh, the Israelites had seen uh, at Mount Sinai, they had seen God's terrifying power as he, he'd saved them out of, out of slavery in Egypt through these incredible um, miracles and plagues. And, and we read it just before on this mountain. They glimpsed something of his awesome majesty as the mountain is covered with smoke and lightning and thunder. And yet Moses says, do not be afraid. It's not don't be afraid because God really isn't all that powerful and he, you know, he couldn't really hurt you. No, they, they had seen God's power. And it really was awesome. But they hadn't yet come to know and trust his goodness. 
alongside his power. See, the very fact that this awesome God had led them out of Egypt and was now graciously giving them his word, his instruction for living as his people, that showed them that God wasn't against them, but was in fact for them. So they didn't need that kind of dread of him in his majesty and his holiness because they could trust him. And in trusting him in his goodness, they could fear him rightly, wisely. See, foolish fear drives us away from God in terror to hide from him. That's foolish fear. Drives us away from God in terror to hide from him. Uh, Foolish fear dreads the thought of being exposed as a sinner. And so it flees from the God whose holiness is so intense and white hot that it shines into the darkest corners of our hearts. Uh, This is the kind of fear that gripped the great reformer Martin Luther um, 500 years ago. Uh, Before he came... Uh, before he came to be overcome by the, the gift of the gospel, the God's grace in the gospel, uh, he wrote about his experience before that point. And he wrote this. Uh, it's not on the screen, so I'll just, just, I'll just read it out. Uh, Christ was depicted as a grim tyrant, a furious and stern judge, who demanded much of us and imposed good works as a payment for our sins. This makes us reluctant to go to him. If my conscience is stricken with fear, I feel suddenly repelled. My heart and bad conscience quite naturally shun him whom I fear. Fear and terror prod and goad me away from him so that I do not stay with him. This is a kind of fear of God that might make you very religious. Martin Luther was. It might make you very religious. It might make you very rebellious, on the other hand. But it won't make you wise. It won't make you wise. And friends, it is a fear of God that we are wonderfully freed from through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a wonderful passage in the New Testament in uh, the letter of the first letter of John, 1 John chapter 4. It says this. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love uh, lives in God and God in them. Skip down to verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There's lots going on there, but do you see the kind of the point here? Yeah, there is a fear of God that is foolish for those of us who are in Christ because it's a fear that has to do with punishment. It's a fear that we are freed from because out of his perfect love, Christ has borne your punishment in his own body at the cross. So there is no more fear for you. As you face God. So there's a fear of God that is not for us, is a foolish fear. But what about this fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom? If we want to become wise, how should we fear God? 
So here's my kind of summary. Foolish fear drives us away from God in terror to hide from him. Wise fear drives us towards God in wonder to hide in him. Foolish fear drives us away so that we want to hide from God. Wise fear drives us to God in wonder so that we might hide in him. That's why the Proverbs can say that this fear of the Lord is a secure fortress, a refuge, a fountain of life. Uh, One of the great places this gets depicted in literature is in the great character of Aslan uh, in C.S. Lewis's Narnia series. My boys and I are reading it at the moment, so it's fresh on my mind. Uh, Maybe you've read it. Uh, in In the book The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, there's this scene where these four children who go in, who've entered this world from our world, they made it into Narnia, and they hear about Aslan. Uh, they hear about Aslan from Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, uh, and, and they hear that he's not a he's not a man, but he's a lion. And Susan says, "Oh, I thought he's a man. Is is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion." That you will, dearie, make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. I won't, uh, that's my reading at home voice. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that you will, dearie, make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Friends, the God who created the universe and everything in it, the God who brought his people out of Egypt with great signs and wonders, the God who sustains all things by his powerful word and who will one day judge the world in righteousness and truth, He's not a domesticated God that we keep in our pockets and pull out when it suits us. And if we appeared before him, our knees would indeed be knocking. He isn't safe in that domesticated kind of way. But he is good. He is good. He's the king, I tell you. And that makes all the difference. It means that this fear of God is not opposed to love for him or to joy in him. Uh, It's not as if, okay, here's some good news. Uh, You get to love God. Great. Happy days. Oh, and by the way, some some, uh, news I'd rather not tell you, you also have to fear him. It's a shame, but it's a bit like eating your greens. Not pleasant, but you just have to do it. (laughs) It's not like that at all. There's no tension between these two. The gospel invites us into a wise, joyful, loving fear of God as we are overwhelmed by all that he is and all that he has done, both his majesty and his grace, both his power and his tenderness. Uh, as we're overwhelmed by the unthinkable wonder that the judge of all the earth should take your judgment on himself. That the God of the universe should call you, (laughs) 
small, weak, proud, sinful you should call you into his family to be known and loved by him as his child forever, completely forgiven, eternally secure. Having a sense of that amazing grace, trembling in awe and in joy, having your pride melt away and humbly entrusting yourself to the one whose service is perfect freedom. That's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. That's the fear that will drive you towards God, not away from him. That will drive you to hide in him and not from him. And I just want to take you to one place where this comes through in the New Testament that we had read out in the, in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippian church. I think you see this joyful fear all through the Bible, actually, but this is one place you see it. Um, he, Paul has just written to them about the gospel, about the, the story of Jesus, how Jesus, who he was in very nature God, he didn't consider his equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but what did he do? He made himself nothing, uh, taking the form of a servant, and he made himself, he humbled himself even to death on the cross. Uh, and, and, and Paul's just written that, therefore, because of that, God has raised him up. God the Father has raised his son to the highest place so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, we didn't read that out, but uh, uh, an incredible section of Philippians that would be well worth your time to reflect on and read. But coming straight out of that summary of the gospel of this awesome good news, Paul writes this, it'll be on the screen, verse 12, Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I, this is Paul speaking, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the service and sacrifice coming from your faith... I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Be glad and rejoice with me. It's not some kind of split thing where he's um, sort of ping-ponging from one to the other. These are two realities that are part, are part and parcel and the same. Do you see how fear and joy go hand in hand? There's so much good news in that passage we just read. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, God is at work in his people to live blameless and pure lives, shining like stars. He has given us his word of life, the Bible, so be glad and rejoice. And in your wonder at all of that, continue to work out your salvation 
with fear and trembling. So, friends, I, uh, I just want to leave us with this question, really, to reflect on a little bit together. In a world of fear, in a world of fear, the question for us is actually not so much how will you get rid of all your fear. The question is how will you fear wisely? How will you fear wisely? When through Jesus, the fear of the Lord is your delight. That's the description of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 11, a prophecy of Jesus. Uh, said the fear of the Lord would be his, he would delight in the fear of the Lord. And when in him, the fear of the Lord is our delight. When he becomes so big in your vision, when his glory and his goodness are planted deeply in your heart. That's when it will make sense to hear his call not to fear anything else. Not because those other threats aren't real, they are. But because God is infinitely bigger and wonderfully better than them. So what are you afraid of this year uh, as we head into 2022? What are you afraid of? Uh, Maybe it is sickness and death and COVID. If that's you, friends, come to the foot of the cross and know that they are defeated enemies. And through Jesus' resurrection, he guarantees you a world that is forever free of them. Uh, maybe your fear as you head into this year is the opinion of others. Maybe your friends at school or work or family members, maybe who, who they don't, don't know Jesus and perhaps mock you for it. Friends, if that's you, come to the foot of the cross in wonder and fear and joy and know that you are amazingly, incredibly secure in God and in his love. Maybe your fears are more kind of big, broad-level social, political concerns. Again, come to the foot of the cross and know that the risen Jesus is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings and his kingdom is the only one that will last. Maybe you fear with your, on, your fear is your ongoing struggle with sin. Maybe that's what you fear as you look ahead. Friends, come to the foot of the cross and know that you are washed clean by Jesus' blood and that you are given his spirit to help you persevere in holiness so that you can continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Friends, whatever your fears are, maybe one of those or any numerous other fears, the beginning of wisdom, the ongoing path of wisdom is to make the fear of the Lord your delight, the joy-filled fear that eclipses everything else. And then by God's grace, we might know this to be true, Proverbs 14 
verse 26 and 27. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Let's pray. Oh, our God, what a wonder. What amazing grace you have poured out on us who don't deserve it, that we might be brought into your family, that we might be forgiven and freed, that we might call you our Father. Lord, in the light of your unbelievable majesty and purity, and at the same time in the light of your overwhelming kindness and grace to us, make us those who have a genuine, deep, transforming, joyful, wise fear of you so that we might live always for your praise and glory as your children. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.